I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 46, and I am fired up because that means we are only six weeks away from our one-year anniversary. I don't know what we're going to do yet, Mark, but it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. I just said, Mark, as always, I'm joined by the Renaissance man himself, Mr. Mark LaCour. How you feeling today, Mark? I'm feeling good. I'm not sure if I'm the Renaissance man, but good to be here. And you know what? We need to do something special for our one-year show because we've been through a lot. Um, we have a great audience that follows us. We need to do something uh, special for our listeners. Don't know what yet, but we'll come up with something good. Well, let's have some people tweet us. Join the LinkedIn group. Let's get a conversation going, and let's come up with something. We've got to get a get-together going or didn't you say that you can barbecue, but it's still kind of cold for that? So maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. brisket will come in the summer. Yeah, and for anybody that's listening outside of Houston, when James says it's cold here, it's like fifty five. <laughs> it is freezing. You would call a spring day, but Houston, <laughs> it's cold. Right, right. And if this is your first time listening, thank you for tuning in. As I said at the top, I'm James Hahn II. I'm the founder and CEO of Tribe Rocket Inc. We're a media company that creates oil and gas stories that sell. You can find us at triberocket.com. Mark Lacour. Hey, Mark with uh, modalpoint.com. We are the oil and gas sales experts. They are. And I called you a renaissance man because you had me dying laughing yesterday. You do this once every three or four months where you just drop this random fact on me about yourself. And yesterday I found out that you're a certified massage therapist. I've also found out you bake cakes, that you were married in a gym and your DJ was Tiesto. What other things are hiding back there that our listeners might like to know about? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. I've, I've led a very good, very fun, interesting life, and I've been exposed to a lot of stuff. And what happens is I forget that I've done something or have experience, and then you'll say something. I go, oh, by the way, did you know? Um, probably the mixed martial arts thing. Probably our audience would not. Uh, yeah, the mixed martial Yeah. So yeah. talk about that then because you're a trainer? No, no, no. I'm not a trainer. So. I've been involved in martial arts since I was 17 years old. My passion is judo, which is real popular all over the world except here in the U.S. And when I did a bunch of work in Brazil in the 90s, I got exposed to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so uh, in the mid-90s, I was in Atlanta in this event, and it was something I'd never heard of before, and it was called Ultimate Fighting. Yeah, UFC. Isn't that Hoist Gracie was from Brazil? Yeah, Hoist Gracie, judo? This is way before UFC. Okay. So I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, you know, I can do this. And so uh, the next event that was in Atlanta, I entered, and I entered in the 198-pound weight class, and it was um, double-pronged elimination, <laughs> and I worked my way up, and I won. I've never heard this story. Yeah, yeah. And my, my last— um, Was opponent, it an octagon? How, what did it look like? It was an octagon back then. It was a boxing ring, right? Just before any of the stuff was invented. This is back when the original Gracies were dominating. Not that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a better martial art, but nobody knows how to fight on the ground, and what they did— uh, in fact, our audience may not know this. Mixed martial arts, is it looks brutal. It's a thinking man's game. It's very, very strategic. Um, so what the Gracies did is brought everybody to the ground where they didn't know how to fight. So, of course, they dominated. They outthought everybody. And in my case, in this amateur event in Atlanta, Georgia, the boxer I faced, the collegiate boxer, almost knocked me out. He hit me, and I went black, but I didn't knock out. And as I was falling, I grabbed him. Now, anybody out there that knows BJJ or judo knows that the worst thing you want to do is let me get my hands on you. And so I brought him to the ground, and I, I made him tap out, and I, and I won. So, and, and I've been doing it since then. Now I'm 50 years old, so I now do – I'm in the master's class, which is the old people, 40 years old and above. <laughs> the um, beer and, league and for of, the hockey guys. 
Yeah, I don't. I do a lot of Nagi events, which is um, North American Grappling Association. So it's sort of like MMA with no strikes. Because quite honestly, it's it's taken me too long to recover now, and I kind of hate to walk into a client's office with two black eyes because then I have to tell the whole story. So, but yeah, I have a passion for it. Been doing it for a long time, and and you know, it's one of those parts to be a lot of people wouldn't suspect. That's awesome. I'm going to look up those old, at least one of those old clips of Hoist Gracie, because you'd watch him come in, and what did he weigh, like 150 pounds maybe, 175? Maybe, yeah. maybe. And yeah, he, he 130, 135. Yeah, seriously. And he would take down guys that because they didn't have any weight classes back then or anything. Right. It was just this, what is this thing happening? And he would just choke out some guy that was seven feet tall, 350 pounds. Yeah, so here's the history of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, it's really cool. So Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the original um, um, judo was brought by a guy named Madid to Brazil. And Hoist Gracie got exposed to it. And what Hoist Gracie that did that was genius is he took everything out of the, the uh, judo-based jiu-jitsu that he was taught, except for the stuff that helps a little guy dominate a big guy. And that's all he left. And then the other thing he did that was genius is he scored the tournaments in a way that would be advantageous in a real fight. So as you got more points in a tournament, it would also be things that would give you an advantage in a real fight. So that's what makes BJJ so unique. So like I said earlier, the mistakes everybody made in the beginning is, is they let the BJJ guys bring them to the ground, where the BJJ guys were really strong, but somebody that's a striker, like the 300-pound guy you're talking about, yeah. his weight gives him an advantage when you're standing up. His weight actually hurts him when he's on the ground. Just like me, I have a pretty long reach, which means I can hit you and you can't hit me. But you bring me to the ground, all of a sudden my reach doesn't matter anymore. So, it's it, like I said, it's a very strategic sport, even though it looks brutal. Okay, well, I forgot to mention at the top, we are brought to you by Red Wing. And now I'm rethinking my plans of stealing the Red Wing helicopter offshore bag from your house. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I don't want a broken arm. You'll, you'll have me tapping out pretty quickly. But let's get back on track. We're here to discuss oil and gas. It's been another wild week in the oil field. Let's dive right in with the Daily Caller. The headline reads, U.S. crude oil hits European shores for the first time in history. Or, I'm sorry, in 40, for, for, for the first time in 40 years, not history. So walk us through this, Mark. This is great stuff, right? So here's some crude from our backyard right here in Texas. And then um, Switzerland just bought it and, we, and it just arrived on their shores. And the reason I say it's great is multifold. The first reason it's great is it means that our um, oil producers can now export the crude and sell it for more money. This is going to drive the crude price of crude back up. The second reason it's great is Europe has um, has been dependent on Russia. Russia's basically had a chokehold on Europe to supply their energy. Well, guess what, Russia? Now we can supply it. So um, just, just great for the industry, great for the world. Um, it's even great for U.S. gas prices. Gas prices are actually going to go down because our refineries no longer have to try to refine the sweet crude that they can't really refine. They can just buy the heavier crude that their refineries are geared for, and then the operators can sell their sweet crude in the global market, and everybody makes money. It's good stuff. So by mistake for saying in history up front, because obviously we know it's been since the Iran-Contra, not Iran-Contra affair, the Iran um, hostage crisis, right? It's been since um, well, what ha it's it's been since the Arab oil embargo, which I think was uh, nineteen seventy four seventy five. Got it, and that that all kind of came in in around at the same time, right? But was it just bureaucracy that kept it in place for so long? It's U.S. politics, right? So the people that wanted it to keep in place would then say, "Oh, if you lift it, the price of gasoline will go up for the U.S." people. And no politician, regardless of what side you're on, would want that on his record, on his watch, right? Because that, that hurts people's um, 
you know, economic conditions. And so it's, um, it was put in place during the Arab oil embargo so that the U.S. would not uh, be so dependent on um, Middle East oil. It didn't really work really well. And now that we've, we have more oil and gas, we know what to do with it. It's an antiquated law. And it, and it actually got – what was surprising to me is not only did it get sponsored, but it got voted on and passed by a bipartisan committee. So both Democrats and Republicans, who I think is really just awesome. Do you remember the Arab oil embargo? Did you sit in lines in your so parents was, in your a, parents' car? Yeah, so I was a little kid then. I was um, about ten years old, but I remember it. It's it was so bad that depending on your license plate, some cities in the U.S. you couldn't get gas on certain days. It's illegal. Like if you end it with the odd or even number, you can only get gas on Monday or Wednesdays. It crippled the airline industry. I mean, you couldn't fly anywhere. Um, it hurt things like supermarkets because. Over-the-road trucks couldn't get diesel fuel to bring produce around. I mean, it was horrible. Um, and and the reason that that happened is, once again, it was politics. So when the U.S. propped up and stood up Israel, the Middle East didn't like that. So they decided to punish us by cutting off our energy supply, and it, it really hurt the U.S. That is, yeah, a lot of geopolitics going, and, and I don't want to go down that road too much because we're already 10 minutes in almost. This is a great show we've got going so far. Dovetailing nicely with that, though— is a story from Stratfor, Russia's prospects for a pipeline to Europe look bleak. Yeah, so Russia needs to get to its market with its product to sell it to make money. Their product is, of course, natural gas. Their market is Europe. And the way they need to get that product to market is in a pipeline. Now, unfortunately, because of what happened in Ukraine, Ukraine no longer will allow Russia to transport gas through the Ukraine, which is the, the geographic route that makes the most sense. So there's several other pipeline projects in the works. Unfortunately, um, Russia has lost a lot of its ability to dictate both politics and to buy stuff in that region of the world because of the sanctions that we've imposed has reduced the amount of money they're making. So the, the bottom line is I don't think any of these other pipeline alternatives are going to get built, which then puts Russia in a very uh, – a bad predicament as far as being able to bring its product to market. At the same time, and we just talked about this on the last um, 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 report, at the same time, we're now the U.S. is starting to export stuff to Europe. So we will reduce Russia's chokehold on Europe. This is good for Europe. It's not so good for Russia. You just mentioned, unfortunately, what happened in Ukraine. Why can't it is it is it just a grudge thing? Why don't can't they charge them terminal fees or something like that and get some revenue off of that by moving, letting Russia move through there, or they just won't do it on principle? It's not principle. Think about it. Russia attacked them, so um, a, a lot of people don't know this. You know, the reason the Soviet Union fell is Ronald Reagan looked at the problem from the big picture and says, you know what, if we have a military action, maybe we'll come out ahead, but it'll be horrible for the planet. How do they fund their military growth? And it was through oil. So Reagan passed a bunch of laws that made the price of crude drop, and it, it, it bankrupted the Soviet Union. They couldn't spend money anymore, and so they literally went out of business, and the country fell. This is what Ukraine is trying to do to Russia. Now, of course, Ukraine is so much smaller than Russia that they can't bankrupt them, but if they can deny them that market, it hurts Russia. That's what's really going on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was having trouble connecting the dots, but that makes perfect sense then if if they're their adversary, which I completely understand having watched – what is it? What was it? Winter on Fire on Netflix that uh, I put it in the show notes before. If you haven't had a chance, go check it out. Let's move over to Saudi Arabia, specifically Saudi Aramco. Why a Saudi Aramco IPO makes absolutely no sense for Saudi Arabia. I didn't even know there was talk about an IPO for Saudi oh, Aramco. Yeah. 
Yeah, the rumor's been flying for a while, and lately it's heated up a lot. Catch me uh, up. Yeah, th- this is a good article by a Cyrus Santini, I think is how you pronounce the name. Um, and there's a lot of good facts here, and I agree with this 100%. It makes no sense. I, I cannot see the royal family letting go of what has made them the royal family and kept them in power and allow them to buy you know, $500,000, $300,000 cars a year. Um, it also gives them complete control over their population, and there's just no way it could go public. If, if Saudi Aramco went public, a lot of the corruption stuff would be exposed because of it's a public company now. And, and that drives a lot of the economy over there. And then once again, I, I see no reason. They're, they're, um, the royal family makes so much money off um, Saudi Ramco. Why would you go public with it? So I'm not sure why the, the IPO rumors are swirling. Now, I would not be surprised if Saudi Aramco looked at their business and took a piece of it and made that public because that way they get a whole bunch of cash at one time. They could keep control over, over um, you know, 51% of the stock, let the rest go public, investors pump a lot of money into it. So I could see that happen, but not all of Saudi Aramco, no way. But when you're talking about a monarch that has control like that, you and I have had offline discussions about in, having investors in your business. And even if it's only 5 or 10%, you still don't have that monarchical, you know, God-given control that you have over a population if you have no one else involved. So is there any more to this story than, gosh, for me, it sounds like something they just wouldn't do. Yeah, it is. It is something they wouldn't do. Not all Saudi Aramco. I could see them taking a piece of it um, and, and going public, like I said, just to raise cash. Uh, but th- there's no way they're, they're doing an IPO for Saudi Aramco. It's just not going to happen. And speaking of Saudi Arabia, so the biggest budget deficit in the history of Saudi Arabia is being posted. Yeah, we talked about this on past shows. So right now, because of low crude price, which has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia trying to put the American frackers out of business, um, Saudi Arabia is not making as much money. In fact, they're having to dip into their savings account. One of the things that goes on there that a lot of Americans and Europeans don't understand is even though they have all this money, they have these huge social programs that cost a fortune. And the social programs keep their people employed, especially their young people. If they cancel the social programs and the young people are not employed, they're at much higher risk um, to to go extremists and then revolt against the monarchy. And they know that. So what they're having to do is to keep these social programs running is they're dipping into their savings account. So this year, um, it looks like they're they're almost at $100 billion deficit. That means they spent $100 billion more than they actually brought in, and that difference is made up from their investment account. They can't keep doing that forever, but they can keep doing it for a while. Um, I, I think the price could go August 2016. I think the price will be back at $60, and this won't really matter that much anymore. Well, now I'm just jealous because when's the last time we had $100 billion <laughs> budget <laughs> deficit? It's been a while, but that's why I threw it in there because they had the specific number, and it was it was fascinating to me that this is their first budget deficit at $100 million, and you look at that, that clock that – or I guess, ticker that they have in, what is it, Times Square or Wall Street or whatever, counting up the national debt. And $100 billion sounds pretty good right now. Yeah. $100 billion sounds... One, one of the other things I wanted to talk about here is the fact that they say it's strengthen the efficiency of non-oil revenue. What non-oil revenue could they have Tourism. in Saudi Arabia? Okay. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. They don't have much of anything else. I mean, they have to import almost everything. They don't manufacture anything other than crude oil. Now, of course, they manufacture crude oil better than anybody else in the world. Basically, all they have to do is pump a gallon of seawater in the ground and a gallon of oil comes up. So their cost is the cheapest in the world. Um, And and there's tourism, and and that's about it. 
All right. So we're we're talking about budget deficits and slumps. And I sent this to you last night because I don't want to come across on this show like we're ostriches burying our heads in the sand, pretending like everything is okay. Because we do talk so much about how there is so much more money to be had over here or over here. And maybe just pause for a second with this one from the U.S. Well, well actually from KHOU.com, Houston, Texas, oil slump is hitting other sectors. Yeah, and, and this is true, right? So there, there's a, a ripple effect um, as the upstream and the service industry slow down and stop or even start going backwards. It affects other things. Uh, you know, think about if, if some guy gets laid off, well, he, he does pay for mating more, doesn't pay for childcare, he doesn't go out to eat pizza as much. And there's some good numbers in here. So basically, um, if, if you look at the, the, um, the oil and gas industry in the last year, they've laid off around 200,000 people. Now they've also hiring, they've also hired about 90,000 people. So that net loss is about 110,000 jobs. Now, what's interesting is because oil and gas uh, employees are so high paid, the, the, the rippling effect is much bigger than anything else. So for every job, oil and gas person that loses a job, it, it, it leads to 3.4 other jobs in some other sector being lost. Um, and so that-, that Wait, 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 back that up. You said one oil, so one rig hand loses his job, one geologist loses their job, that's equal to 3.4 in other sectors? No, 3.4 other people will, be, will lose their job because that one guy got laid off. Wow. Can you- dig you know unpack yeah, that sure. I, I mean I, I give you i give you prime example look at me so i have um i have maids i have a lawn man um i have interns um i have um um a spe special teaching for my 10 year old special class he goes to and all that's extra that's um money that i don't need to spend but i do if i would lose my job i would not be able to afford a maid my lawn guy um the teachers for my child any of that stuff so you can see how that would ripple through the economy one of the things that was interesting to me is sort of toward the top of the article where they talk about the airlines losing money because executives aren't flying around for yeah. meetings. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's actually half, that's real big here in Houston. So Houston as a whole, the population's going up because a lot of oil and gas companies are closing remote offices and bringing people back here. So Houston economy is actually doing well. But when you look at the airline section here in Houston, they're actually shuttling some flights because not as many oil and gas executives are flying, and that's lost revenue. Back, backing this up a little bit, though, it, from the big picture view, I think, and this is me talking, my, my personal opinion on economics, is that econom in, eco in economy, you have growth and you have contraction, and that's normal. And I feel like if you have that sort of an understanding of, of just the way economies work, that you're able to kind of distance yourself more emotionally from these things and understand that this is just how it works. It doesn't matter what segment or sector you're in, whether it's oil and gas or, in my case, coming from Michigan, cars and so forth, that you're going to have times of growth and times of, of slowdown. And if you, if you, like I said, if you're able to pull back from that and, and kind of just look at it straight from a because I don't, I feel like sometimes we might get entitled to feeling like we should be working in one, at one job or doing whatever. And if we saw ourselves more as every employee saw themselves as an entrepreneur moving around wherever they need to go to get the money, then we wouldn't have so much doom and gloom. 
Yeah, that's it's part of the culture. I mean, we've talked about this before, how if you grow up in upstream and you lose your job, you only look for jobs in upstream. Whereas if you would back up and look at big picture, your same skill sets or in high demand and downstream be easy to get a job there. So yeah, it's um that's changing. I a lot of the young people I see, a lot of the millennials I see they're coming in oil and gas have that entrepreneurial mindset. And I think it's gonna fundamentally change the culture of the oil and gas industry in the next 20 years. And I think it's a good change. Yeah. And we have a couple entrepreneurs jump jumping on board with the team right now. Let's take a moment to 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 talk about that. James Gordy, we we've met we welcomed him before. He's produced the last couple of shows, but he's actually taking over to do the show notes as well so that every show gets published on time, Mark. What do you think about that? So not only is that great because we have not been um, religious about getting things published on time, but he also is doing a really good job. So welcome, James. We're glad to have you in as a producer. Welcome to the family. Yeah, and then also Dave Weaver is joining us to be our editor, and he's going to be getting together all of the links and tweeting them out through the week through Tribe Rocket uh, and as well as my 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 account, and we'll get back to that thing where uh, to that thing to that practice of basing the content of the show around what y'all are clicking on, because I thought that was a really good way of doing it because that's just kind of a leading indicator of what you want us to talk about and what you want to hear about. Yeah, so Dave, welcome to the family. You know, you're now our official editor. You will be making sure everything we do is right and correct, that we have all the information, the research that we need to give good information out to audience. So welcome aboard, Dave. Definitely. And speaking of research, we've got Wood Mac. We've talked a lot about about the amount of money that's sitting on the on the side. So we don't need to go deep into that, but this did actually give a number to that conversation. So Wood Mac, US three hundred and eighty billion in projects on hold. Yeah, so you actually talk about two different things. In the past, we talked about money on the side, and that was investment money, and that, that is billions of dollars um, waiting to pick up distressed companies for pennies on the dollar. This is about projects that are getting pushed out, and we've talked about this before. With the low crude price, expensive oil, shit, um, um, oil sands and deep water and ultra-deep water aren't viable, so these projects won't get canceled because the scope is so long. You know, an ultra-deep water project from first oil to decommissioning, maybe 50 years. And so because of that, a two-year blip in the price isn't going to really affect it, but it's going to push it out. So this is talking about how all these deep water projects around the world are getting pushed out. Now, the ramifications of that uh, for some parts of our industry are severe. So the subsea manufacturers, the guys that make the stuff that sits on the ocean floor either while they're drilling like a blowout preventer or while they're in production like a tree, all of their projects are getting pushed out. So companies like Cameron, GE Oil & Gas, Acker, FMC Technologies, it hasn't gotten bad for them. It's getting ready to get really bad for them um, because their their revenue streams could, could shrink by you know, 30 40%. And unfortunately for them, because of what they do, because the scope of these projects, you know, Anadarko may need uh, 30 trees for just one field in the Gulf of Mexico. Each one of those trees may be between 2 and $10 million each and take three years to build. So because of what they do, when the price of crude comes back, there'll be a delay for it affects their business. So there's a lot of, of, of expensive projects being pushed because of low crude price. And did this happen toward the end of 2015 where they were everyone was setting their budgets and they said, yeah, we're not going to gamble on, on crude coming back. We're going to push this out to 2017. Or are these the types of decisions where they push them out three, five more longer years? 
Yeah, it, they the operators wish it was that easy. What happens is they have contractual agreements in place already with the drill ship, uh, with the subsea manufacturers, the lease, wherever it is in the world. And so they have to weigh, okay, if we push this project back, will we be penalized contractually because we agreed to re, uh, uh, lease this drill ship? You have a party <laughs> over there, Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, so <laughs> it's um it's it's one of those things that was my 10-year-old. Lord knows what he was doing playing Minecraft. Um so it's one of those things where they have to weigh the, the potential fines versus the potential uptick in revenue down the road. And so it's, it's, it's no one size fit all. Every company does it a little bit different. Shell was probably one of the first ones to go out there and, and push out some um, deep water projects. Chevron, on the other hand, started buying deep water leases because it's using its cash as an advantage. So, um, you know, just it's a project by project case. Okay. Let's talk about some good things. Texas economy continues to grow despite oil field job cuts from Breitbart. It's so funny. I was just talking to a guy at lunch about this, um, about how uh, Texas runs its um, inf- its um, economics like a business better than any other state. And this is a good reflection of this. So um, uh, our economy in Texas, the growth is slowing, but it's still growing, which is a great thing. Um, and it's, um, you know, they're talking about uh, in here, they talk about how BP has announced they are cut 4,000 jobs. Well, it's not really accurate. What's really accurate is that um, BG has cut 4,000 upstream jobs. They're hiring like crazy in downstream right now. So, um, you know, there's a net effect that if you lose two jobs in upstream in Houston or in Texas, and then in downstream, you pick up two jobs, it's net. Um, but but this is an article showing how the upstream and the service company slowdown is affecting the economy of Texas. And like I said, it's not going backwards. We're still growing, but our growth has slowed. And the nice thing also about Texas is I think there's probably a lot of people that see Texas as a bit of a Saudi Arabia of America in that it's all oil. But we have a very, very diverse economy in this state. No. In fact, let me – this is what I was telling the guy at lunch today, which was really cool. There's this uh, um, organization in the Texas government, and it's a bunch of business leaders, and they serve a 10-year term. And their charter is to look out over the next 20 years and figure out economically what's going to be big business in 20 years and then figure out how to get that to Texas. So if anybody lives here in Houston that's in the oil and gas business, you go downtown and you notice that all the oil and gas companies are on a street called Louisiana Avenue. The reason, there's a historical reason. The reason is up until the 1970s and 80s, all those companies were headquartered in Louisiana. But that committee that's in the state government said, you know what, in the 1990s and 2000s, oil is going to be big business. So let's see what we can get, what we have to do to get the oil companies here. So they gave them tax incentives, and they all moved here except Chevron. Chevron stayed headquartered in San Ramon. And so that same group um, about 10 years ago looked out 20 years, which would be like 20, 25, 20, 30, and said, you know what's going to be big? Medical, especially biomedical research. And so they gave tax incentives to biomedical research companies. And now Texas, Houston is on its way to be the number one biomedical research um, headquarters in the world. Same way with aerospace and defense and NASA. Um, we have um, some of the biggest deep water ports in the world. I go on and on, but it's it's all down to the fact that the Texas state government looks at its um, government as, as a business, not as a politician's uh, you know, toehold for free stuff. So lesson learned, you need to move to Texas or come here and figure out how we do it and go do it in your state. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk EOG. I'm going to skip that because I'm looking at the time. Let's go downstream. Oil refiners thrive amid route and Brent crude market. Not anything new to this show, but it did go with the last one. So let's talk about it. 
Yeah, it's it's downstream's on fire. It's crazy. Um, it's it's the amount of money they're making is great. They're hiring. They're growing. Um, good, good stuff. And it's in those margins that are allowing them to do that or to stay that way for a very long time. Can you talk about the margins? Because they they that was one of the things that I wanted to get you to sort of unpack here. Because you have talked about margins growth in the past in downstream. Can you unpack that and what you mean and and what it says here in this article? Yeah. So when I say downstream, a lot of people think fuel diesel, jet fuel, gasoline, those margins are relatively slim um, because it's basically a commodity. Although even the the fuel margins in the U.S. have risen, even though the price of fuels have gone down. Um, but, you know, that, that stays around 10%, 8 or 10%. But exported products, refined products, plastics, ethanol, methanol, all that sort of stuff, some of those margins are 20 or 30 or 40%. And what's cool, especially when we talk ethanol, is that we export that to developing nations. China buys a ton of ethanol from us, and we manufacture a ton, and we're manufacturing more. And the reason is we have the most robust, largest refining complex in the world, and we have access to the cheapest feedstock in the world right here in our backyard. Don't have to ship it here. So um, you, you know, those margins are driving a lot of downstream growth. And that's great stuff, right? That's jobs and that's prosperity for, for Americans. What are they talking about when they mention global carnage? He's talking about if the prices of, of crude stay around $30, how many companies will go out of business. And he's right, but it's not going to stay around $30 for a long time. Right. And I didn't throw it in there, but Harold Hamm was making a lot of headlines today on Bloomberg and other places. Pretty much everyone seems to be talking about 60 60 to 70. So we'll stick by that. Moving yeah, over to hear that first a year ago. I, I, some guy named Mark LaCour seems, yeah. seems, seems to come to mind roughly yeah, 40, uh, 40 some weeks ago by now. As oil crashed, renewables attracted record 329 billion. What is going on here? Yeah, it's, um, I, I don't like this article. It's, it's, it's written in a, in a slant that's biased. Um, which is not usually like Bloomberg. Who wrote this? Who's Jessica? We need to talk, reach out to Jessica and see if she has um, stock ownership in any of the, the um, <laughs> renewables out there. Um, but you know, there's a place here where they talk about the dirty uh, oil and gas market polluting the planet, polluting the atmosphere, and that's not true. Well, I mean, why would you put that in here? We've actually helped clean up the atmosphere. You know, renewables have had a surge only because uh, for a couple of reasons. So when the Democrats and Republicans worked together to um, lift the export ban and they wrote that law, the Democrats wanted some concessions. And the concessions the Republicans gave in on is the government subsidizing of renewables. So the Republicans said, OK, we will subsidize renewables. We'll basically write a check for renewables for longer than we were before if you let us export crude. Well, this article, the number they're talking about, part of that is the government money that we gave them, gave renewables so that we could export crude. So this is this is a, a, a biased article that I'm not used to seeing from Bloomberg. Yeah, that's what surprised me about it, too. That's why I said, what's going on here? Because I don't see that from Bloomberg. And here it is. Yeah. So are, are they invading Bloomberg even? Yeah, and don't don't get me wrong. I, I, there's nothing against renewables. The number one wind state in the country is Texas, right? In the right geographic place, different types of um, renewables make perfect sense. But it's not a, a fuel. So, so you know, wind and solar is free. And everybody goes, oh, well, it's free and doesn't pollute. Well, the energy is free, but how do you capture it? That's very expensive. And then how do you store it? That's extremely expensive. I mean, I can get a bucket and store crude oil. You can't do that with solar or wind. So the, the financials and the way it impacts the environment is very complex, and most people think it's black and white one way or the other, and it's just not true. I want to get your your quick take on this because we have talked several times. We say 
where modal point believes we have hit the bottom, but now we're trading near 30. Is yeah, and I still think we, we, we've hit the bottom, right? So the the trading, the low crude price now is a bunch of, of drivers in that, but what's going to tip us over the edge is as we start exporting crude and as India's consumption goes up, and as long as China's doesn't crash, the small glut that's in the market, which depending on who you believe is between 1% and 3%, is going to disappear third quarter of next year, and we'll be back to $60 a barrel. Now, we won't ever hit $100 a barrel again unless something tragic happens in the Middle East. Um, but I'll tell you what, this Iraq-Iran thing that's developing, if that if that blows off, we may go from $30 a barrel to $90 a barrel overnight. I actually so, – and, and I don't – the funny thing is I don't want to see that happen, but a lot of my peers in the oil and gas industry, when I talk to them, they're secretly hoping they go to war so the price of crude comes back. It's like I really don't want somebody to go to war. Come on. Come on. Yeah. We don't want to we don't no. want to lose children over over no. no. Right. No. But that does remind me, I didn't tell you this. I had a dream last night that crude was trading at $146.02 a barrel. <laughs> I have yeah, no I no clue where that came from, but that was that I had a dream about that last night. Yeah, there's a lot of operators out there wish your dream would come true. <laughs> All right, and we're going to close with how one CIO left behind a diversity legacy at oil giant BP. You know what's cool about this story? So oil and gas industry up until recently was a male-dominated industry. just was, right? It's the culture. And IT leadership, especially CIO level, is a male-dominated role regardless of industry vertical. And here's a woman that crossed both boundaries, right? The C, one of the CIOs for BP, and she did a great job. She increased the number of women in the um, in the IT organizations dramatically. Did some major transformation in, in BP to help think, make things more efficient. And so the legacy she's leaving behind is somebody did a darn good job for darn good reasons and left an organization behind that's running like clockwork. So you know, hats off to her. Yeah, and I'm I'm I would love to. I would maybe we can get maybe you think we can get her on the show. I would love to 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 hear how how she went about that because you know, James, I don't know Lynn, but I know a lot of people at BP. If you want me to try to do that, I, I'd be happy to reach out and see if we can get an interview with her. Yeah, let's try and do that. Let's try and do that. I would like you know, depending on whatever she can divulge, but there's got to be some really great best best practices in that story. Yeah, right. and I bet she has a lot of stories about battles she had to fight, which one she had to pick and choose internally because she implemented change in. A part of the oil and gas industry that doesn't like change in an industry as a whole that doesn't like change. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to imagine there's there's got to be some pretty good war stories there that we get in a point five episode. Speaking of point five episodes, um, we're going to get to two point five episodes in just a moment. For now, we have the the onion of the week. Traffic already lining up. Uh, to be late to L.A. Rams opening game. Not that funny, but it does give me an opportunity to mention. There is Lara M. Saskin. This is a hilarious story. I, I put this image together, and it's in the show notes. I, I put it up on my Facebook page where this woman now, she, she hit the social media Powerball because she owns the Twitter account for L.A. Rams, or in her case, Lara M.S. Yeah, yeah, somebody's going to make some money. And doesn't your wife have some initials that she could have? Yeah, my wife's initials were MSN. If she would have um, grabbed that URL back in the eighties, um, she'd be worth a fortune right now. Man, all right, we gotta we gotta get a time machine as well. All right, we uh, that's that's all of our that's all of our stories for now. For for this week, we are moving on to talk about our winner because we have another winner of the Red Wing Offshore Bag. 
That is Mr. Simon Cox. He is Managing Director at Garrison Energy Advisors, an energy-related corporate advisory firm that focuses on acquisitions and divestitures in Calgary. And yeah. just, Congratulations, Simon. Yeah, it's just awesome that a managing director <laughs> from Calgary is listening to the show. And so I, I took this down off their site because it says, our firm is leading the way in energy-focused acquisition and divestiture advice and analysis with ever-changing market conditions. You need someone on your side who knows how to accomplish the unthinkable. And he accomplished, well, it's not unthinkable, but he won. <laughs> he won. So we will get that out to you and tell him what he won, Mark, because you have one of these things. Yep. So he won a Red Wing offshore bag. I keep calling it a helicopter bag because that's what I see it. That's what I think of because um, it fits perfectly in a helicopter rack space. But this is a really cool rugged bag. It's labeled Red Wing, but it's done very discreetly. This is a great bag. If you work offshore, you will love this bag. Um, if you don't work offshore, but you need a, a way to carry stuff in the back of your truck, this is perfect. And if you work in office, you'll love this bag because it's a really cool way to bring stuff to the office. It doesn't look like a conventional briefcase, but it fits into the office environment. So I have one. If you want one, James, what do they have to do? They have to go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. I'm actually opening my calendar right now because we have only three more day, uh, three more weeks right left in January because we're given one away a week. And thank you to everyone who has entered because by entering this, you're really helping to support us because this is one of the ways we're able to give this content away for free is through these sponsorships. So thank you everyone for your support. And just so everyone knows, I have to throw this in here. No purchase necessary to enter or win. And you can see the official rules again at redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. And I, I, I was doing some, some research on Red Wing last night. I watched one of their, one of their videos, one of their technical industry videos about how they put together their boots. Fun fact, Mark. Red Wing randomly audits their waterproof boots by flexing them 50,000 times in water-filled tanks. Yeah, that's really cool. That's somebody that has an eye on quality. Would they pull random samples and flex them that many times to see if they'll leak? But the thing is, you have to see the video of the machine that they have built that does this. It's hilarious, but it's, it's hilarious in that, wow, they, that's how much they care. So that's, it's just awesome. So... Congrats to Simon, and I said we're going to get to the point five episodes. This gives me, because he's from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This is a perfect time for me to let everyone know we have two different point five episodes coming with number one best-selling author of the LinkedIn Code, Melanie Dodoro. <laughs> I knew I was going to screw up her last name. Melanie, I apologize because I know you're probably listening to this. Um, Dodaro. And... We're going to record those on January 27th, and we're, we're doing two shows, one for the Oil & Gas Career Show, and on that show, Melanie is going to talk about how to use LinkedIn to get a job, and then on this show, This Week in Oil & Gas, she's going to talk about how to use LinkedIn at the enterprise level to be successful on LinkedIn as an enterprise. So I'm, I'm freaking crazy excited about this, Mark. Yeah, and this, what great free content we're putting together for you, our listeners. So this is stuff that will add value to your day, which makes us happy. Yes, perfect. And definitely looking forward to that. We have a couple events. we gotta, we got to go do a big finish here. So uh, BP Energy Outlook 2016, it's a webinar. I remember it happening last year. It's loaded with great information. Tell them about it, Mark. 
Yeah, this is BP's researchers and scientists putting together a report to let you know what's going to happen in the energy world out for the next, I think, 30 years. So it's a webinar. So go. And if you can't go, watch the recording. This is extremely valuable information if you're in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, we'll have the link in the show notes. And I don't believe I've mentioned the show notes. Uh, so if this is your first time listening, you can always find the show notes at triberocket.com forward slash insert episode number, TW insert episode number. So this one is triberocket.com forward slash TW46. And if you just want to quickly get to other older shows, then just triberocket.com forward slash TW40, 35, so, and so on and so forth. I do it all the time because it just makes my job easier. And then we have the 8th Argus America's Crude Summit happening January 20th through the 22nd. Talk us about that. It's exactly what it is. It's the American Crude Summit. So here's an uh, event built all around crude production here in the U.S. Argus is a great company. They do a lot of research. Um, this is a good event. If you're an upstream um, person or if you're a service company that touches upstream, you should go to this. And talk to us about touring a rig. I'm fired up. Yeah, so I pulled off the impossible. I have, um, you know, I'm a member of the API. I'm on the board of directors for the API Houston chapter. And about a year and a half ago, I stood up a young professionals group. I have secured a real offshore rig tour for my young professionals. So if you're in Houston or you can get to Houston on the date. You can and the date, get to Houston. Honestly, I mean, get to Houston. We haven't set the date yet. The date will be on the uh, Young Professionals website, but it's going to be sometime in February. We're going to take the whole group for free and go bring them to a uh, offshore semi-sub rig that's in dry dock in Baytown, and they go tour their entire rig. Most people that work in the oil and gas industry, even if they work on stuff for rigs, have never been on a rig because nowadays it's almost impossible to get on it between liability and security. I've done the impossible and I've gotten permission for us to go. So if you're in the industry and you want to see what a rig actually does and understand how it works, if you're not in the industry and you want to tour a rig um, or if you just like big mechanical things that engineers built, you need to come to this and it's free. Now, the only way you can come, though, is you have to join the API Young Professionals. It costs all of $25 a year to join, right? And you automatically get membership in the API Houston chapter as well. So we'll put links up in the show notes, but um, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. I promise you, not even I will be able to pull this off again. This is literally once-in-a-lifetime. Man, I can't wait for this because you, yeah, and, you and I were talking about this. You and I were talking about this at the end right. of 2015. I was saying setting out some goals, and this is one of my top goals was to get offshore and boom, here's the happening. I love it. Yeah, and James and I are going. So if, if you want to see us be wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, because I haven't been offshore in probably 10 years, um, you can come out and meet us as well. All right, and we haven't gotten any questions for the Q&A yet, um, and that's going to be coming up in a few weeks. So triberocket.com forward slash QA. What kind of questions can they ask us, Mark? Anything. Now, if it's something that the answer is proprietary or it's not it's X-rated, we won't answer, of course. But any question you have about oil and gas industry, <laughs> yeah, about sure. what's going no on groupies on. on the QA page, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, ask us. The, the quality of our questions keep going up, which I think is really, really cool. Um, and some of them are, are getting harder and harder to answer, which actually helps educate James and I. So we benefit from this as well. So anything you want to know, uh, James, in the show notes, will have a place where you can go. Um, preferably, you'll leave a voicemail for James. You can do that on his website. Um, and if we like the voicemail, we'll play it on air. Yeah, that would be perfect. Triberocket.com forward slash QA will take you straight there. So even if you don't go to the show notes, you can, it's pretty easy to remember. And then we, we sold one more sponsorship spot, Mark. 
Yeah, folks, we only have one spot left. If you want to get your product or service or company or blog or whatever in front of an, our oil and gas market, you better hurry up and reach out to us. We just inked the, the one more sponsorship, which means we have one remaining sponsorship for 2016. So you can reach out to James and I. Um, we're very open and transparent. If we don't think we can help you, we'll tell you. Um, if we think we can help you, we'll tell you that as well. Yes, we. we it, that's what we all we we we're all about setting real expectations and being able to really drive results. And if those results that you're looking for don't match up with the kind of things that that we're doing on this show, we're not going to twist your arm and try to make a sale because that's just a we waste of everyone's we time. You. We don't want you. Yeah, exactly. All right, we have to talk about reviews because we got a new one. If you would like to re- leave a review for the show, go to triberocket.com forward slash TW reviews. That will take you straight into the Apple iTunes store. If you need to, you can create an account. It takes no time. Leaving a review takes no time, but it helps us out immensely in terms of getting found. So this is from, oh, ju- it's just like me to not actually pronounce the name. Folky say, I'm not sure. <laughs> Everybody has different handles online, but five stars recently discovered this podcast. The only one out there to summarize weekly industry news in one show. Very informative, easy listening <laughs> and generally generally enjoyable. I assume um, that that's that's you, Mark. Keep going. I'm seeing this a lot from a lot of different people where they're saying, keep going, keep at it, keep going. And I don't think people realize we're not even getting started yet. Yeah, we're not in this for the short haul, folks. We will keep going. Trust us. But thanks for the thanks for the thumbs up, right? We appreciate that. Yeah, we appreciate that. It, and just so to back up what Mark said, when we started this show, I I, I said, yeah, well, imagine where we'll be in two years, three years. And on that note, we are changing the name of the show. <laughs> Why, Mark? We're changing the name of the show to help our search engine ranking, so we can get in front of more people and help them as well. But it's not really a change anyway. We're just kind of rearranging things a little bit. So it'll go from this week in oil and gas to oil and gas this week. So not not too big of a change in general, but a little SEO tip for anybody, search engine optimization. If you want to rank for something, it's always best to put the term at the beginning. And so we're always asking for reviews because we're battling against these people to get up in the search rankings for oil. Well, if we just shift a few words around, we'll quickly get there. So... That doesn't mean we don't need reviews, though. So tryrocket.com forward slash reviews and tell them to join the LinkedIn group, Mark. Yeah, folks. So let me back up to the reviews. Please, 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 please take the minute and a half to leave us a review. It helps us in the search engine rankings so that more people like you can find us so that we can help your peers. And then we have a, a companion to the uh, to the podcast. It's our LinkedIn group. A lot of great information out there. In fact, I just answered somebody's question before we jumped on the show. James, I've actually, James helped people do copywriting um, all your peers are there i've seen salespeople trade contacts um, just it's a very useful companion and if you're in the oil and gas industry go join you'll be glad you did triberocket.com forward slash linkedin will take you straight there i think we hit everything thank you very much to red wing for your for your support we love the partnership that we have going with y'all everyone in the organization has been fantastic to work with so far we're so excited for all the people that are that are receiving these awesome offshore bags. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you again, Mark, for putting up with me this week. Are you ready to get out of here? Yeah, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys.
Tell me about the time when you had a 16-year-old girl KO you. I, I literally was in my Muay Thai class, and this 16-year-old girl, she was 120 pounds, not thinking that she could be that quick. And she, I woke up, I was on the floor. 